I'm going to tell you as much as I know about the background of Cesar Chavez because he would be too modest to do so himself and also because I think that it's probably unusually pertinent in a situation like this the uh, impression may get abroad that this leader has suddenly burst forth upon the stage and that is not at all the case the uh, the strike which is what I suppose really brings us all here tonight is only the most recent act in a drama that's been going on for a long long time and I can assure you that it's not the final act in that drama Cesar Chavez began himself as a farm worker who followed the crops when he got married and began to have a family and he has eight children now he left farm labor because I need hardly tell you that it is virtually impossible to support a family on the type of earnings that you make in agriculture at the present time he was working he was working as a lumber handler in San Jose as I recall and he might correct me if I'm mistaken in any of these details a fellow named Fred Ross was organizing a chapter of the community service organization in San Jose <clears throat> perhaps some of you have heard of the CSO perhaps some of you have heard of Fred Ross himself Mr. Ross studied organizing methods under Saul Alinsky in Chicago and many of you probably heard of Saul Alinsky and some of you might have heard that uh, a project directed by Fred Ross back in New York State was recently cut off from its uh, war on poverty funds because the organizing methods of Alinsky and Ross and Chavez are perhaps a little too authentic if I may use that word they're bona fide they are genuine organizing methods uh, rather than the imitation article which some people might prefer <clears throat> well Cesar Chavez became associated with CSL he was in charge of an organizing project in Oxnard for example in which he in effect organized a farm workers union there although it wasn't called that when he left there he became as I recall the head organizer for CSO throughout the whole state of California and was instrumental in helping that organization build a number of very 
viable chapters in a number of cities, 2022, something like that. I first met him in Stockton in 1959, where, with the help of Dolores Huerta and others, <clears throat> they had a very active CSO chapter. But he left the CSO, I think because the organization was tending to place more emphasis upon urban problems than Caesar thought appropriate. And so all alone, he went to the little town of Delano, in the northern end of Kern County and began trying to build the type of rural organization which he thought this state needs. He called it the Farm Workers Association. Had no support whatever except from the dues which the members of the association themselves paid and which he himself was able to earn by working during the daytime in the fields and then driving around at night to little home meetings, neighborhood meetings, which is the way he felt organizing ought to be done. Well, that was some, what is it, two and a half years ago? Three and a half years ago, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he and the association have come a long ways in those three and a half years. You've all read a good deal about the FWA since September of last fall, and Caesar will be telling you about those events himself, but I also hope that he will tell you something about the very long and patient and tedious and undramatic and unspectacular spade work that preceded the events that began in September. With that, I will introduce you to Cesar Chavez, National Director of the Farm Workers Association. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank uh, my friend uh, Hank Anderson for the very wonderful introduction. And then I want to tell you about um, a picnic we're having over in Delano. I guess most of you have heard of that. <clears throat> but in order for you to understand what we're faced with, uh, and in order to be able to... Uh, uh, understand the what the strike is all about. I think it's uh, appropriate, first of all, to give you a brief background of the uh, National Farm Workers Association uh, with emphasis on its uh, origin and on some of the ideas and on its uh, mainly 
the way it was organized. On March 31st of 1962, I quit my job with the community service organization in Los Angeles and came to Delano with the idea of organizing farm workers, with the idea of forming a workers group that would not rely on outside financial assistance for the, at least for the um, initial part of the organization, a group that if it were to be organized would have to, at least the financial part of that uh, organizing would have to come from the workers themselves. And so after a few weeks of rest and planning, we began the work of getting farm workers together, uh, talking to them about the advantages of organization and also the responsibilities. In my 12 or so years working under uh, Alinsky and Fred Ross, I had learned one thing, and that is that anywhere you go, you will find a small group of people, whether it be students or uh, university professors or farm workers, who are already interested enough to do something about the problem that confronts them. So on this basis, I went, and in order to build a uh, the beginning or the foundations of the association, I visited something like 85 small communities, including labor camps, and was thus able to form the nucleus of the Farm Workers Association. Uh, when I look back on the beginning of that work, uh, it seems like we've gone a long ways. And of course, when I look forward, it seems like we haven't moved hardly anything or anywhere, but the idea was that the workers themselves had to pay for the organizing, that there had to be a due structure, that if they really felt and believed that this was a way out of their uh, conditions facing them, that then they had to put up the money. And if they didn't, didn't put up the money, then this, this, what we were doing, wasn't that important to them. And I felt then if it came to that, that I had no right going around and talking to people because I would be fooling myself because then uh, if they weren't um, convinced enough to the point that they wanted to pay 350 a month, that then there was no use in trying to organize them and that, and that perhaps my whole approach was not the right way of doing it. We started with uh, 10 dues-paying members and some of my friends in CSO and other friends who would come occasionally, would drive occasionally through Delano and would stop, take time enough to come and see what I was doing, would um, give me as much encouragement as they could, but at the same time, just before leaving, almost always they would say, you know, you've got a tough job, as if I didn't know. <laughs> it surprised many people when they would ask me, how are you going to organize the workers when they're scattered if we consider the San Joaquin Valley, which covers eight counties, and uh, on the extreme south you have uh, Arvin, California, and that's the home of the Georgia Fruit Corporation, and you go all the way to Stockton, this is several hundred miles, 
uh, it's an awful lot of territory to cover, an awful lot of people to see. And so when they brought this up, I would say, if I can't organize from behind this desk, then I have no reason organizing. And then they would say, well, what do you mean by this? And I would say, I can only do a little bit, but I can do a lot if I never lose sight that what I'm doing has to be duplicated if it's going to get any place. And so those 10 members that began started duplicating things. And pretty soon there were 20, and then there were 30, and then there were 60, and then there were a lot more. It seems quite uh, easy to say that they came and that they were duplicated very easily, and they were, this is not the case. An awful lot of time, an awful lot of personal attention has to be given to each individual if he is going to then act as an organizer. So the whole approach was that we were getting members and also getting organizers. And also building that very essential ingredient to organization, and that is that each man knows what to do as best as he can, or at least each man is prepared to do whatever he can for that group. And so for three years, we continued driving. Uh, many problems faced us in the beginning, and I just want to mention some of the experiences that we had, and I think that they are interesting. Some years back, while I was working with the CSO, I was confronted with a case where uh, this uh, young daughter had come from Mexico, immigrated with her mother, a uh, lady of about 60 or 70 years of age, and they had been here two or three months, and she died, and there was no money to bury her. And the county hospital was willing to bury her, but they wouldn't provide the uh, church services, and the only thing she could get was a graveside service. And of course, this was not enough for that daughter. So I went to the library, and then I went to an attorney friend that I had, and I said, look, uh, it says in the code that the first uh, of kin has a right to, to that body. What would happen if this young daughter would claim the body, and then we did the necessary things to, to have the services and to uh, have the uh, funeral and so forth. Well, this had never been done in the history of Santa Clara County. This was in San Jose at the, moment, at the time. But we went and we had a big argument with the county hospital to try and get claims of body, and we finally, uh, they called the um, state attorney general's office for a Decision, decision was that we could claim the body. So I had a station wagon, we claimed the body, and my brother's a carpenter, he built a coffin, and we had to wake at her uh, friend's home, and the priest came, we had the rosary. Next day we went to, took her to Mass, took the body to Mass, and then we buried, buried her. And we only paid for the uh, death certificate, I think it's a dollar, and 30 or 35 dollars for the uh, plot. And but I thought when this was accomplished that it would be quite nice if people who do not have money for these services had some type of a burial insurance supported by their dues to take care of these needs. And so I had not been long in Delano when I was faced with a similar 
problem. This time I worked a little differently. I went around to the various uh, funeral parlors and I told them I knew how to do this, but if they didn't want the publicity to get out and the people could do their own burying, that then uh, I was expecting that they would uh, cooperate, and they did. <laughs> the and so this pointed out immediately that we needed a that we had a problem facing us. And most of the problems, when you get down to the root, are economic problems. At least those problems facing the farm workers. Or at least I'd like to think that this is what they are, because I like to deal in that. And so we're able then to set up a very small insurance benefit program or burial uh, uh, program for the membership, and this was successful. Then uh, the question of loans came up, and uh, so we built up a, we built, we organized, and we fought with the federal government for about 16 months to get a charter for a credit union, and they wouldn't give it to us because they claimed that the workers move an awful lot and that this wouldn't, just wasn't practical. And so then we went to the state, and the state gave us a charter, and uh, we started with $37. Our credit union in 22 months lent out over $100,000, and still going in business, we have a, a lot of money, uh, $36,000, I believe or at least up to before the strike started. But then we're also confronted with, because of the area and because of the thousands and thousands of workers, with some way of bringing the information to these workers, whether they were members or not, about the movement, about what we were doing to organize them. And so we uh, started publishing El Malcriado. Many of you, I'm sure, know what it is. It's a newspaper published by the Farm Workers Association. We started in Spanish, and then two or three months later, they, we went into an English edition, and we hope it will be another, at least in uh, one of the major Filipino dialects soon. But the point I'm making is that organizing, however difficult it may be, and when we really examine it, it isn't that difficult because the main ingredient is people. And then the second thing is that there must be a need, and there is two things in the valley, people and a need. And so we started building, and we started building a strike fund. And we're taking uh, a small percentage of the 350 every month and putting it away in a strike fund, hoping that uh, this would be large enough to at least get us started, that when the day came that we had to have a strike. In May of this year, uh, a group of members, most of them who come from a village in Mexico uh, called Tangancicuaro, that's in the state of Michoacan, and who are expert uh, rose grafters, came to the office, and they, they, there were about 80 of them who worked with the largest rose company in California, to tell us that they were dissatisfied with the promises and with the wages that they were getting with this rose company. And so we started organizing, and then after about three or four weeks of working with them, we called a strike. Oh, we went to the grower and we sent letters to them. We told them, look, uh, strike's coming on and we hope you get together with us to avert the strike. And they laughed at us as they usually do. And so we had a strike. And we never had a picket out in the strike. Everybody walked out. We were out three days. 
we got a 40% increase and we sent the workers back. They want to go back anyway. And they say, well, next year we'll come around and we'll talk about a contract. And so this, plus the other work that I've described, plus other things I'm going to describe, are leading then to the strike that we are in today. Then in uh, July, 80 workers working with a grower uh, near Porterville were not on strike. They were thinning grapes. And they were on strike because they were dissatisfied with a dollar and a quarter that they, a dollar and a quarter that they were getting. And their complaint was that the Secretary of Labor had issued an order that all growers beginning April the 1st of last year in order to qualify for Mexican nationals, braceros, they had to offer the domestic workers in that area. And also, if they imported uh, uh, foreign workers, that they had to, prom to guarantee them $1.40 an hour. And so what happened was that many people felt that this was a federal minimum wage, many of the workers, and they felt, well, if the braceros are then now guaranteed for $1.40, why shouldn't we be guaranteed, those of us who live here in our citizens especially? And so it was a walkout, and we were on strike, and it was a short strike. We got $1.40, and we settled for that, and we pulled back. Then I have to explain that for many years, Delano has not used foreign workers. The table grape industry has not used foreign workers for many years. Some, in some cases, but not in the large numbers that have been used in the strawberries and the citrus and in the asparagus and so forth. So we had then, before the strike, or before Secretary Wirtz had issued the order of the $1.40, we had Delano was about the middle bracket as far as wages are concerned. We had the northern part of the state paying a dollar and a quarter an hour, Delano around a dollar ten an hour. And then we had the southern part of the state in Imperial County who was paying between 90 and a dollar cents an hour. Uh, around Stockton, where they were paying a dollar and a quarter an hour, they had many braceros. And in Imperial Valley, where they were paying a dollar, 90 cents to a dollar also, uh, quite a few braceros doing the carrots and also the lettuce. So when the order came into effect, then we had overnight a raise uh, in wages in the southern part of the state up to $1.40, and then the northern part of the state up to $1.40, in some cases a little more than that. And so Delano then overnight became a depressed area as far as wages were concerned. And so there was then another reason for the strike. But I guess most important, of any, most important of everything was that there was some beginning of an organization there, some people working in unison, and some idea about having to, having to fight if they wanted to get uh, a, better working, a better wage and a better working conditions and so forth. So then on September the 8th, the... Agriculture Workers Organizing Committee, which is a, an organizing committee chartered by the National AFL-CIO, went on strike and they pulled the Filipino workers in the area on strike. Eight days later, we called a 
mass meeting of our membership, which amounts about 1,200 in the strike zone at that time, and put the strike question to them. And then the, after some discussion, they voted unanimously to go on strike, not only in support of the AWOC strike, but also to ask for similar wages and working conditions for themselves. Along with this, uh, they pledged themselves to conduct a strike that would be a nonviolent strike, something unheard of in, in labor, especially in, in farm labor strikes up to that point. And then I was asked, I, was, I asked the uh, members to give me five days in which to try and get to the growers and see if somehow we could head off the strike and that by doing this that maybe we could negotiate with them. And I was kidding myself. And we did everything under the sun that we could to try and get them to talk to us, and they wouldn't. They ignored us. And so the strike was called then at 5 o'clock in the morning on September the 20th on a Monday. And we've been on strike ever since. And many things have happened, and many new ideas have developed, and many new people have developed because of the strike. In the beginning, we were not organized for the strike. Uh, everyone in the strike, including myself, had never had any experience in strikes. But as time progressed, we were able to meet the organizing problems that we had, and we were able then to little by little, develop the people who are on strike. So at, then, at this point, we have a strike machine that I'm sure can go on for an indefinite period of time. I'm sure that the strike can go on for as long as we can get support from our friends throughout the state and throughout the country to give us enough to eat, and that's all we ask. So in the beginning of the strike, we had many terrible experiences, and we found that the growers in the beginning thought that this was going to be a honeymoon strike. It was going to be like most strikes in farm work in the agriculture industry, that it was going to last maybe three days, and then it's going to sort of uh, drop, and then in about 10 or 12 days or two weeks at the most, the strike was going to be over and the people were going to go back to work. And I think this was our first major mistake because it's almost now four months and we're still going at it very strongly. And then when, this, when they realized that this wasn't going to stop the people, then they started using um, violence and they started uh, bringing out their shotguns. And, and when I say shotguns, I mean in, many in a good many cases they did. And they started hiring... Uh, uh, guards to guard the entrances to their properties, and also the guards in uh, two occasions uh, felt that uh, they had to draw their firearms on us to, to discourage us. And of course, they weren't successful. The more they did this, the more encouragement we got and the more sure we were of what we were doing. And then the, after a while, the sheriffs, and especially in Kern County, felt that they had to do something that uh, the strike had been going on for too long, and after five weeks, they thought that everybody knew about the strike and that, therefore, there was no reason to shout Welga. 
Huelga is the word, as you know, in Spanish for strike. And, uh, well, we didn't agree with him, but we thought that, and we were kidding ourselves, that if we talked to them, we might get the cooperation and then thus be able to continue the strike. So when we gave in to not shouting huelga, they came back three days later and they wanted us to not to talk. And we gave in to that and then they came back and they didn't want us to, to talk to one another in the picket line. So it's too much. And uh, we thought we would challenge this. And when the pickets wouldn't leave the area, in uh, two occasions, the growers or some of their employees went out and got their spray rigs and they sprayed us. And uh, we stayed with it. And so it's going to take a lot more than those things to discourage us. We um, do know this, that every time that, a, that one of our workers has been arrested or every time that he's been humiliated or every time that he has been pushed around, that the only thing that's been accomplished by that is to have a more and a firmer commitment to the strike. We hope that someday this will be, this strike will go down in history as the very first successful strike. We are working for this. And I am convinced that this can be done. And I'm not saying it's going to be done tomorrow. I'm saying it's a long strike, but I'm convinced that it can be done. And even if it's not done in Delano, this time I live there. And a lot of people live there. And we're going to come back and we're going to come back and we're going to stay with it until the day comes when we will get the growers to understand that we have a perfect right to be recognized and to build our own union. When the day comes that we sign a contract, I'm going to invite all of you to come to the land to celebrate, and we'll celebrate with Chen products. 